Welcome again to the Arlington Baptist Podcast. Thank you for joining me again today as we will continue our look at the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible there on your phone or a written copy, I hope you'll be turning to chapter 8. We're in the midst of the darkest kind of uh, section in the book of Revelation where we continue to see God's wrath poured out on the world for its a stubborn sin in rejecting Christ. God has been merciful and forgiving and loving and patient, long-suffering, the Bible says, for thousands of years now since the creation of Adam and Eve. And yet man has, for the most part, rejected his offer of salvation. And now God, according to his promise and fulfilling what he said he would do, is unleashing his judgment on the unsaved. Now, this period known as the tribulation period that we're in the midst of in our study of Revelation also contains uh, a lot of horrific uh, content uh, regarding the Antichrist, uh, this uh, incarnate uh, devil, if you will, the the Satan incarnate in person, ruling over the earth for those seven years. And he is unleashing horror on Christians because there will be many, many people saved during this period. We talked about them back in our uh, look at chapter 7, and we'll see some more uh, about them in a little while in some future chapters. But in the midst of looking at these judgments of God, we've told you that there's really three sets of seven judgments we're looking at. We've looked at the seven seals uh, judgments already. Uh, The seventh seal was really not a judgment. It opened up into the next seven judgments that we're on now called the seven trumpet judgments. And then following that, we'll see the last set of seven judgments, which is called the seven vile or bowl judgments, and they'll be in chapter 16. Well, last week we got uh, through the first three of these um, trumpets, uh, and each each one of them is is began or heralded by an angel that God has to blow the trumpet, and as soon as the angel sounds or blows his trumpet, then this uh, judgment is unleashed. Now, in these first four, we're going to study number four today, and then we'll get into the the last uh, three. Uh, definitely, in these first four judgments. Uh, the trumpets, we see God's wrath being poured from heaven down to earth. Uh, when we look at the the last three of these, the five, six, and then seven will come later, we'll see kind of a change, uh, and we'll get to that when we get to chapter nine in the fifth trumpet. Well, let's pick up our reading like we've been using as our pattern. We'll read the text in chapter eight, and then I'll go through some of these verses with you. Now, let's go look at chapter 8, and I'll read from verses 12 and 13. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Now, let me stop right there, because the last verse is going to lead us into chapter 9, so it's kind of a connecting uh, bridge verse. So let me just talk about verse 12, because that is the fourth trumpet. It says, the fourth angel sounded. And and this is unbelievable when you think about what happens. I say unbelievable in the sense of amazement. We know it'll happen because God's promised it. But in this particular fourth uh, trumpet judgment, a third of both the day and the night will be cut off 
It says a third part of the sun was smitten and a third part of the moon and a third part of the stars. So all the illuminating lights of day and night will be smitten or we might just say cut off uh, a third part of them so that he explains that this means a third part of the day and night will no longer uh, be there. Now, this is hard to imagine, and we can't be sure exactly how this is going to play out, but we can say this, according to the text, a third of the day is going to be removed so that each of the days will be actually a 16-hour period. Uh, that's, that's quite amazing uh, how that's going to affect uh, the... Uh, seven-day tribulation period. Will each of the days then only be judged as 16-hour days? I can't really say. No one can be sure of that. We do know that we, and we've already covered this, is that the tribulation period will be a seven-year period. So if it's called that, it would seem more likely that it's it's kept by actual 24-hour days and, and seven-year period, a seven-year period as we would think of a seven-year period, but this is still pretty spectacular, pretty amazing uh, that the world will uh, suffer through a a third of the day being cut short. Um, it reminds me of a verse, and, and again, I've hesitated a lot through the verse-by-verse study to go back to a lot of cross-referencing for sake of time, but I can't help but think about this tremendous statement that Jesus made about the tribulation period back in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, of Matthew's gospel, this great 24th chapter. Uh, Notice what he said. I've read this passage before, but this particular statement comes to play now that we've read this fourth trumpet judgment. Jesus said in verse 22, he was referring to the great tribulation, verse 21, but then he says in verse 22, Matthew 24, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, the the word shortened there that's used twice in, in that particular verse, excuse me, still hanging on to a bit of a cold here, that, uh, that word shortened um, could, could, re, could refer to several things. Some people, some commentators I've read, believe the word shortened simply means there is an expected end, a guaranteed end to the tribulation. It doesn't go on forever. It'll have an end, so it's shortened that way. But I think it's also possible that that word shortened there is referring to this fourth trumpet, where the days literally, day and night, will be shortened by eight hours. There'll be 16-hour days. A third of the day and night will be taken off. Now, again, how that affects the keeping of time for the rest of the tribulation, exactly when this actually happens, this fourth trumpet, we can't be sure. Uh, I told you time and time again that chronology or time frame during the uh, book of Revelation and the tribulation period itself is the most difficult thing to pinpoint. We can't be 100% dogmatic about a lot of things that happened during this period. I believe they all happened sometime during this period, but exactly when and how long into it and how much time is left after it till the conclusion of the tribulation period, uh, we can't be sure. Now, let's move on to finish this chapter because now there's this verse, verse 13, 
that leads us into uh, chapter 9 and the last several of these trumpets, which, if you can believe it, will be more horrifying, uh, more uh, just, uh, just beyond belief than what we've already seen, because now they're going to move from the physical realm. These are all been physical judgments, really. You know, the first angel had the, the hail and, and fire mingle with blood come down to the earth. The, the second angel had the uh, the mountain burning with fire cast into the sea, and, and the sea became blood. And then we had the third angel where there was this wormwood that was cast into the fresh waters. And even now we have a third part of the day and night being short. And that's all physical. That's all the physical earth. But now as we begin to move into the fifth and sixth trumpet, the reason they're going to be um, so horrifying is because now they're going to affect the spiritual, the, uh, the invisible realm of the demonic and so on. So listen to verse 13 as John leads us into these last two trumpets that we'll see. Uh, well, not the last two, but the fifth and sixth trumpet, I should say, in chapter 9. Uh, and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the mist of heaven. So he sees and hears. Listen to what this angel says, saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe. Now, we know the word woe is a word of judgment. It's a word of wrath. It's an Old Testament word. When God was about ready to unleash some terrifying judgment on Israel or, or some other nation, he would say woe. And this is a trifold woe. This is three woes. So this is really bad. It may stand for the last three trump, uh, trumpets that are left. Woe, woe, woe. There's a fifth, sixth, and seventh. The seventh will be picked up a few chapters later. But he says, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants, the people of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Here it is. He says, boy, you think you've seen, seen something horrible already. You think this has been a fearful thing to see in the first four trumpets, waiting out to these last three. And so, isn't it kind of telling that God so often, before he judges the world, before he sends his judgment, he always warns man. This is kind of a warning. Hey, uh, I'm going to send three more, even more terrible judgments that you better be ready for. You better understand they're coming. Well, let's move into chapter 9, and we'll begin to look at these. And they're, they're a whole lot more uh, hard to uh, decipher because they're not just physical things. I mean, it's, I mean it, it, was, it was not easy to understand or easy to contemplate how, you know, these things could happen in the first four trumpets, but at least we can put a physical face or a picture in our minds about these. Now we get to these, these last couple that are really in the dark side of the underworld of the, of the demonic, of the devilish spiritual world uh, of fallen angels. Notice what it says, verse 1, and I'll read from verses 1 through 3 and then go back and we'll talk about it. These are actually longer too. Those other ones didn't take very long to cover a trumpet, but now we're going to need the whole first 12 verses just to, to study this fifth trumpet. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven under the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, 
we're going to have to uh, relate a lot of symbolic terminology and language here uh, because, again, when you leave the physical realm, you start to talk about the demonic, invisible, angelic realm. Uh, trying to put it in language that you and I on earth could understand is going to be difficult. And so you'll see more and more symbolism when you deal with things like that. So, as we see here, he's, John sees a star fall from heaven. Well, it's not a star physically, because I told you we're already in the in, invisible angelic realm. This is an angel, because the star is called a hymn, and to him, you don't usually call stars hymn if they're just objects uh, in the terrestrial uh, sky up in up in the in space. No, this is an this is an angel. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now, let's talk about this bottomless pit. Um, this is a really fascinating uh, truth uh, that is actually backed up in several other places prior to Revelation. Let me go back to Jude, the little epistle of Jude, one chapter, powerful though. It's right before Revelation. And Jude refers to a place where the demonic angels, or demons as we now call them, uh, were judged and punished to be cast into this bottomless pit. Um, it says in Jude 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, that's the rebellion of the angels with Lucifer and they're cast out of heaven. We'll see that actually in more detail in chapter 12 of Revelation here in a minute, uh, a couple of weeks I should say. But left their own habitation... He hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. And so uh, Jude is referring to the same thing that John is writing about here. Now, we also know, uh, by way of just previewing what we'll study later, that this same bottomless pit will also be the place where the devil, Satan, is locked up for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. And I'll hold off my comments till we get to chapter number 20 and deal with that. But before dealing with the devil being cast in, we already know that there are demons. There are angelic fallen angels, uh, we can call them, that because perhaps, and, and this is where it gets a little bit uh, tough to, to be sure of, but I could just say that there are a ranking in the angels of the devil or the demons. Maybe that's better I can stay with the word demons. Among the demonic realm, there are ranks, and we're going to see, in fact, a rank of a particular demon called Apollyon or Abaddon in the uh, in the tenth or eleventh verse of this chapter. And so, there's there's Satan. Just keep it in your mind. There's Satan, who's the who's the father of all the demons. He's the head of the whole rebellion that tried to dethrone God. But he has ranking angels, very much like he's kind of a counterfeiter, of course. The devil counterfeits everything. God has ranking angels. God has the cherubim and the seraphim angels and so on. He has uh, archangels like Michael and Gabriel that are named in Scripture. So the devil has his uh, own um, ranking of angels, uh, demons, 
And so in this bottomless pit, evidently, has been some very wicked, evil demons. We don't know whether God put them there uh, specifically, uh, uh, uniquely, because they were maybe uh, high up in the rebellion. I don't know why. We can't say for sure. We know that not all demons were cast into this bottomless pit because we have uh, records throughout the Gospels, especially in other parts of the Bible, where demonic possession and demonic oppression happens. So we're not saying that all the demons are in this bottomless pit, but evidently there's some really wicked ones, some really vile, uh, just terrifying, horrible creatures that are kept in this bottomless pit. But now, here we are in this, uh, the worst time in all human history called the tribulation period, they're going to be allowed out for a small period of time. And so we read, and this star or angel was given the key. And by the way, that that angel comes from God. Only God has power to let these uh, angels, these uh, demons, I should say, out of that pit uh, because they're under his judgment. He's like the, uh, he's the judge, jury, and executioner. He has reserved them, as Jude said, reserved under chains and darkness. God put them in these chains, but now God is going to let them out for his own purposes. Now, they'll do what they want to do. They're so wicked and hateful and evil. They'll do really what they want to do, but they'll be fulfilling God's plan. That's that great balance between providence and, and free will. We see it all through Scripture. But now, going on, and he opened the bottomless pit. Okay, there he is. There's this angel, this star, opening the pit. Uh, evidently, has a key. I mean, it has a door. We could just kind of use our figment of our imagination here to understand this. And there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. Now, again, here is John using physical language, but he's not really describing physical realities. These are invisible spiritual realities um, more than anything else, I believe. Now, could there have been a literal smoke coming out of this pit? Very likely. Isn't it interesting that we know hell, uh, the, f the place of flames, of torment, of suffering, of darkness, uh, is under the earth? And if, if we were to open up some uh, doorway to hell, maybe smoke would arise out of it because of the fire and the flame down there. But uh, whether this is literal smoke or not is not really as important as understanding that when he opens this uh, pit and this smoke uh, and fire, it says, uh, as the smoke of a great furnace. That's interesting. You remember when the three Hebrew children were cast into the fiery furnace in the in the book of Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah uh, were cast into the uh, fiery furnace. It's a picture of hell for sure. And yet Christ goes and rescues them out of the fire. And then it goes on and says, And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Well, this literally has happened, we know, in the in the realm of volcanic activity, when a volcano explodes uh, 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 and, and it gives off its uh, all of its uh, uh, volcanic dust and so on, it can literally darken the, the sky, darken the sun. It's happened before. And this is so horrific and so, so uh, evidently the magnitude of it's huge. The, these, these creatures are going to come out of this bottomless pit. And maybe as a way to kind of uh, to prepare the world and, and to kind of precede their leaving that pit, the smoke arises out and darkens things. Uh, well, that's pretty appropriate. They're a dark creature. They're from the devil who's, who's the prince of darkness, the Bible says. And so notice now in verse 3, And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. 
And unto them was given power as the scorpions uh, of the earth have power. Now, we're going to look at these locusts in more detail in the following verses, but I, I could tell you right up front that I do not think they're literal locusts. This is, again, physical language, symbolic language to picture uh, or try to put some face, some kind of a recognition on, on invisible creatures, the reality of these demons on the earth. And he's going to use really graphic language to describe what they do and what they look like. And, and here's John. Maybe John, and, and again, this is, this is kind of mysterious, kind of gross area, but John may have been given something, of course, that we're not given. He's given insight into some of these invisible spiritual realms that we, of course, can't see and maybe never will see. We'll see uh, the heavens and we'll see the, the realm where God dwells, but to see this thing, to see the bottomless pit, to see demons come out and and uh, work on earth and, and how they look while they're on earth is horrifying. And so, Maybe John only is, is given this just for the reason of recording this book of Revelation. But anyway, these locusts, uh, we believe, are demonic creatures that have been, been reserved in this bottomless pit. And, and God allows them to come out to uh, wreak havoc over the earth. And you're going to see what they do. It's horrifying what they end up doing. They're just vicious, brutal creatures. Uh, and it says, and unto them was given power. Boy, we've seen that little statement before. Keep that in mind. They only can do what God allows them to do. They don't have power in themselves. They can only do what God, he'd been chained. They couldn't even get out of the pit they were in. They couldn't get out of that pit. God had reserved them in these chains, but now they're, they're allowed to get out. And it says they're as scorpions of the earth have power. As. They weren't scorpions, and I don't think they were literal locusts either, but scorpions... They, he brings in scorpions because they have power to hurt the sting of a scorpion. I've never been stung by one, thank God. But some some people, uh, you may have, if you're listening, if you've ever been stung by a scorpion, you can verify this. I've read accounts that they're very, very painful. And so that's kind of going to lead us into what these creatures do. Now, let me, let me continue the reading in verse 4. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men who have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, I'm going to kind of go verse by verse and stop as I go along because this is so descriptive. Uh, who commanded them? Well, God. Uh, of course, the devil, who's a murderer from the beginning, he hates God's people. He hates everything that's true. Uh, he's everything that's right. He would never command someone not to hurt somebody or kill someone. So they are commanded by God uh, not to hurt anything on the earth except those, notice, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. That's kind of interesting. They're not to touch the trees and the grass. Well, God's already been affecting some judgment on those, and there'll be more. Uh, we talked about the green grass in uh, the first trumpet uh, and the trees in the first trumpet. But God says, you know, those that are left, and that was a, a uh, an amount, remember, a third of the trees and, and all the green grass. Well, this must refer to uh, some grass that would have been left over in, in places not mentioned there. We can only leave that to God as far as where. And all green grass was burnt up. Maybe this is the seedlings of grass that came up after the first batch of the earth's grass was burned up. Surely if if grass is burned like in a wildfire, then it'll it'll replant itself, it'll it'll regerminate, so maybe new grass has come up. But nonetheless, uh, however that works, he tells them, don't touch that, don't touch the trees, 
Only the men who have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, we've talked about that seal. That seal of God in their foreheads takes us back to chapter 7, verse 3, where God sealed these 144,000. Now, I'm of the opinion that this seal put in the foreheads of the servants of God will not be limited to just the 144,000. I think it'll be all believers will have that seal. Just like the book of Ephesians tells us that every believer, every person who repents and turns to the Lord is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So I think all Christians uh, will be sealed. But he says, now those that aren't sealed, that means they're all the wicked. These demons, you'd think, wait a minute, these unsaved people on our team. No, they're going to create havoc on them. They're going to torment them. They're going to punish them. By God's design, he's going to allow them to do it. Let's see what they do. Verse 5, and to them, to these same demonic creatures from the bottomless pit, it was given that they should not kill them. Wow. I mean, the pain they're going to inflict on these unsaved people that do not have the seal of God in their foreheads, they're going to wish they did die. These people, these unsaved wicked people are going to wish that they died after they go through the torment they'll suffer. But that they should be tormented five months and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. There it is again. This idea of the pain of a scorpion. But imagine, I mean, just trying to just visualize at least the best of our ability. Five months long, these demon, demonic creatures are going to inflict a horrible, apparently a physical pain, but maybe emotional, psychological. We could just put that uh, in God's hands. We don't know exactly how this will play out, but hey, pain, you know, psychological and emotional suffering could be even worse than physical pain. They're going to suffer for five whole months. And notice verse six says, and in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. I mean, it is so bad that these people want to die. They wish they could die. And yet God will not allow them to. Remember, God is the giver of life. Uh, remember Job said, uh, uh, naked came out of my mother's womb, uh, and, and, and naked I'll return thither. What he meant by that is he's saying God gave life. Uh, he takes life. He's the originator of life and the remover of life from the earth. It's one another man wants to die. And after this, the judgment. So only God determines when you'll be born and only God determines when you'll die. And so he will not let these people die. They'll want it. Says they'll desire to die, but they will not. Now we move to not just what they do, but now this description, and it's really going to get, now this is sci-fi if I've ever heard it here, and this is John trying uh, the best he can with his first century language to describe what these locusts look like. And I told you they're not just locusts like, you know, the flying locusts like uh, grasshoppers and so forth. Uh, the rest of the Bible speaks of those kind of locusts too, and we still have those around. These are not physical uh, flying little creatures or insects. These are demonic things that have taken some form of maybe physical uh, uh, appearance or if they're not physical and, and, and seen by the, uh, by the naked eye of everyone else on earth, then John sees them. So I can't say for sure everyone will see them look like this. They might, but John does. Let's go into this description. Verse 7. And the shapes of the locusts were like. Now, you're going to see a lot of likes. 
or as is. Remember, when you see the word like or as, it's a comparison word. It's a symbolic word. It's, it's leading us into something. It's not exactly this, but we're to imagine it like that, okay? So the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses, prepared unto battle. Wow. Now we get into the possibility. Some commentators and, and uh, prophecy teachers believe that these locusts, which are demons, will actually take the form of a standing army. And, uh, and, and as a, an army goes into battle, they'll be like monstrous soldiers uh, uh, on the earth. It could be. It very well could be. Uh, it says they're, they're like unto horses. They're not horses. Uh, some people have surmised that this might be some mechanical uh, vehicle of today, maybe a tank or a Humvee or whatever. Uh, it could be. Uh, again, when you get into those kind of really grayers, I'm not going to be dogmatic. This could be referring to, uh, remember, horses were the main form of transportation in John's day. Um, chariots, and of course, they had uh, ships and so on. But on land, you know, horse and chariot was uh, the, the fastest and only way to travel, really, as far as, well, at least quickly. You could travel by other animals like camels and so forth. But anyway, let me go on. And on their heads were as it were, there's that as, as word, as were crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. Man, we're seeing a lot of ases and likes here. So they had some kind of uh, crown on their head. I don't know if that means they were given some kind of reward for their work or the devil or the Antichrist might reward them. We don't have any clue. There's not a whole lot said after this section here about them. In fact, we don't know for sure we'll see them again at all. But they, they do their evil work uh, in those five months. And they have faces as the face of men, which kind of, again, relates to the demonic characteristics of them. They try to take the form of men. Isn't it interesting that demons have always wanted to possess and, and indwell people because they're, they're disembodied, they're, they're floating invisible spirits, and, and to do their work among men, they like to be inside people. They want to use men to uh, be like their hands and feet to afflict their horror on people. Uh, and so that's always been their desire. And these particular demons let out of the bottomless pit will be uh, as, have the faces as of men. Now notice, and they had hair as the hair of women. Isn't this a, a telling thing? You know, God gave women the beauty of long hair, but long hair was not to be worn by men. In fact, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 14 says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Now, you get into this big debate, and I'm not going to be dogmatic and, and, and go into this debate too too long, but just to say, I, you know, some people, what some people might call long hair, another per person might not. But God did believe and teaches and shows us in Scripture a difference in the sexes of male and female. Uh, women and men are not looked the same. They weren't addressed the same. There's not a unisex uh, principle in the Bible. The world wants us to think that way. God created male and female. By the way, that's all there is. Only two genders. God only created male and female. Okay? So, they have the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. I mean, you go through this description, and I've seen pictures of people try to paint this and, and draw these creatures. And, and I guess if you were a good artist, you can do that. But it's going to look like something out of a sci-fi movie by the time you're finished, for sure. 
Uh, look at verse 9, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. Now, this is really spectacular. They have these uniforms on. Breastplates were were used as part of a a, a kind of a uh, knight's armor, if you will, back in the days of the Roman Empire, and Roman soldiers would wear these too, breastplates. Um, and they have the, their wings. This is interesting. I do not think it means that they have wings like the angels of God that that fly around and hover around the throne. Um, the wings would speak of flight, of transportation, and, and because they're demonic, they have the ability to uh, move around uh, a lot differently uh, than we do on earth. They're not limited to the same space, matter, and time as we are. Uh, but some people have thought and, and speculated that maybe this these wings are referring to like helicopters or airplanes or fighter planes or something of that nature because it speaks of chariots and horses in battle. It could be military aircraft. Very well could be. We can't be dogmatic. I just know that uh, these are, are frightening creatures. Now listen to the next verse. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. Now this kind of concludes the description, but it kind of is very telling. Uh, for five months, they'll be able to torment men. Now, these tails, remember, a scorpion's uh, sting is from his tail. And so, uh, here he describes this sting from the tail of, of these creatures uh, that, according to verse 9, were, were in these winged, maybe, vehicles or winged uh, military uh, apparatus of some kind. Maybe these tails are something like a, a tank. You know, uh, with a, with a, with the guns, the big guns that that shoot out uh, the missiles and and so forth, the projectiles from a tank. It could be. Uh, it says their their sting is in their tails. It could be one of these fighter uh, um, helicopters. You know, these Black Hawk helicopters and so on. And they can man, they can fire at the front, the back, the side. It's Unbelievable. And, you know, John is just seeing this. He's way back in the first century seeing a vision of this, and he's writing it down as God inspires him to, and he's got to write just what only he and his people of his day would understand. He couldn't write it in, you know, 21st century language. He wasn't living in the 21st century. So he writes it, and he just says, and their power was to hurt men five months. There it is, the unsaved. Now, let me finish this section on the fifth trumpet because we're uh, given the name of the king of the demons that's over them. This particular demon must have been in this bottomless pit with all the rest of those demons for a long time, ever since we think the fall, when, when the devil tried to rebel against God and was cast out of heaven, it was probably sometime, yeah, this is hard to speculate, but sometime before day six of creation, because the, uh, the, the uh, serpent is in the garden when Adam and Eve are created, so the devil has already fallen. He's already seeking to uh, corrupt and pollute uh, mankind with sin. So let me read these two verses and we'll be done. And they had a king over them, a leader, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. He was the head-ranking angel. He's not the devil, but this is one of the high-ranking devil uh, or demons of the devil, of Satan. This was, would be like one of his generals, you might say, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Now, whether it's Abaddon in the, in the Hebrew or Apollyon in the Greek, they both mean a destroyer, a destroyer. And boy, that's, a, that's an adequate 
uh, telling description of this king of these wicked demons in this bottomless pit. He comes to destroy. Remember Jesus said, the thief cometh but to kill and, and to destroy. He's speaking of the devil, but here's one of the devil's representatives. Now, he will in some way lead these other uh, demons, these locusts as they're referred to, but really demonic creatures, to afflict their punishment, their their painful wrath on unsaved people who do not have the seal of God for five months long that'll last. So uh, again, fitting that five months into the seven years of the tribulation, we can't be sure. But then he ends this uh, section by dealing uh, on the uh, fifth trumpet by saying, one woe is past. Remember, the three last woes. And behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And so when we pick up, Lord willing, next time, we'll see the sixth trumpet. And then we'll have to wait all the way till chapter 11. We'll skip uh, the trumpets until chapter 11 at the end. But we'll have a lot to cover in chapter 10 and most of chapter 11. But it'll be fascinating as well. Well, thank you for listening. And remember, our motto, conviction for truth, compassion for people. God bless you.